Well, tonight, on the eve of our observance of Christmas, I just want to uh, quickly examine three items. One, I want us to examine the distraction of the cultural phenomenon of Christmas. Secondly, I'd like to invite us to stop and see the world as it really is. And then lastly, I want us to take a closer look at the pervading peace of Christ's coming into the world. And I want to do all that through the lens of a perhaps familiar Christmas song. It came upon a midnight clear. But a little bit about the author and the lyrics. Uh, It came upon a midnight clear is actually a poem and a Christmas carol written by Edmund Sears, who was the pastor of a Unitarian church in Wayland, Massachusetts. Uh, He chooses not to mention the birth of Messiah at all in his poem, which is odd because mm, Christmas, right? And instead, he focuses on the song of the angels as his central theme and also on the scourge of warfare. Uh, One of the editors of the early United Methodist hymnal said that this hymn is one of the earliest social gospel hymns written in the U.S. And so if you know anything about me at all and how I approach the scriptures, you might be surprised that I would feature a poem of someone of such dubious theological leanings. But even broken clocks are right twice a day, and even Unitarian pacifists get things right in the scriptures, and Edmund Sears happens to do it in a very poetic fashion. The the lyrics that he gives us uh, are set to a melody, actually two different melodies, and I didn't know this until this week. There's the Noel melody that I've never heard, and there's the carol melody that I grew up singing these words to. And we'll sing the carol version shortly. There are five stanzas, or what we would call verses, to the song or to the poem. And for the sake of emphasis tonight, to draw out the true meaning of Christmas, uh, we're going to look at the three of those stanzas, the first, the fifth, and the third in, those, in that particular order. So, so look, uh, if, if you want to look at the screen for the words, here's the first verse. It came upon a midnight clear, that glorious song of old, from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. I, I don't know why I feel like I sound like Casey Kasem right now. It came upon a midnight clear, that glorious song of old. Right. Uh, the, the second part, he goes on to say, peace on the earth, goodwill to men from heaven's all gracious king. The world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. So what was it that came upon that midnight clear, this glorious song of old sung by angel. What is he talking about? Well, if you have a Bible tonight, I invite you to open it to Luke chapter two. And if you don't have a Bible and and you'd like a Bible, there's some on the table in the back and and that would be our gift to you. Uh, You're welcome to take that home and make it your own. Or if you're 21st century American Christian and you have your mobile device with your Bible app, go ahead and flip that open. Luke chapter two. Verses 8 to 20. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host 
praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, that the Lord has made known to us. And they went in haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard as it had been told them. He says, peace on earth. Where has that ever happened since the proclamation of the angels? When has that ever happened since the proclamation of the angels? This is why in in 20 years of ministry and a lot of that doing open air evangelism and and campus evangelism and apologetics, I've, I've gotten to know many Jewish people. And this is one thing that I hear again and again from my Jewish friends as to why they refuse to believe in Jesus as their Messiah. Because there's a promise of peace and it's clearly not happened since Jesus. What's the, what's the deal with this Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Even Jesus himself would say in the gospels, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. He goes on to talk about dividing families over the gospel. And so what do we make of the angel's words? Well, let's look a little more closely at the angel's message to the shepherds. The shepherds are representatives of humanity since the angels are bringing a message of peace to all of mankind. And the shepherds, I don't know if you knew this or not, but they're the lowliest of their culture and their society. Those who tended and raised the sheep were actually considered, get this, ceremonially unclean and unable to participate in the temple sacrifices that their work made possible. And that's really, I think, fitting. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 31, he reminds us that God chooses the lowly things of the world to shame the wise. And I believe this is precisely why God sent a detachment of his angelic army to declare terms of surrender for humanity to a group of shepherds as representatives. And make no mistake, that's what this is. This is the angel army. Anytime you see the word hosts in the translation, in the English translation, it means armies. This is the army of God. And as for the peace that's being offered by a band of war angels, no less, uh, it's conditional, isn't it? He says, peace to those upon what? Upon whom his favor rests. Peace to those with whom God is pleased. Well, who is God pleased with? On whom does his favor rest? It's only those who respond in faith to the gospel message, those who repent of their sins and put their faith and their hope in Jesus and receive new life in God's grace. That's a word, grace is a word that means undeserved favor. It's it's something you can't earn. It's his favor upon you, unearned. And his favor rests upon those who put their faith in Jesus. And that is the access point, point to the peace that the angels sing about. And as you consider these realities, we just stop tonight and we, we think about these realities that happened over 2,000 years ago. How do they clash with what Christmas has become for us culturally? 
Doesn't there seem to be a disconnect between those realities? The cultural phenomenon that most Americans experience at Christmas time is filled with lights and color and festivity, and there's nothing wrong with lights and color and festivity, but for most of us, it's a time of hustle and busyness and shopping and stress and going into debt and running frantically to and fro, and then we sprinkle a little church in, and we sprinkle a little Jesus in, and we remember the reason for the season, and, and it's just not what Christ intended for our hearts. And every year it seems to get a little more frantic, not less. And, and, and that's a great segue to the, to the next stanza here of the song, because Edmund Sears says, for lo, the days are hastening on, by prophet bards foretold. Bards are musicians. Uh, when with the ever-circling years comes round the age of gold, when peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors fling, and all the world give back the song which now the angels sing. He says the days are hastening on. Now, some of you have heard my, my uh, theory of time speeding up, but for those of you who haven't, buckle up. I think time is speeding up. And I realize that I'm in I'm middle age now and that happens as you get older. You know, when you're a kid and mom says 15 more minutes, it feels like eternity. And then when you get to be 40 something and 15 minutes goes by in the snap of a finger, it's crazy. The more time you experience, the faster time seems to go. But as I talk to teenagers and preteens and I ask them the same questions, they are having the same experience, common experience that all of us are having, that time seems to be speeding up, going faster. And here's my theory. When you were a child and you got in the bathtub and mom or dad filled the bathtub up with water and you splashed around, at some point they would come back into the bathroom and they would, they would say, bath time's over, time to get out, and they would pull the plug. And that water would drain down the hole. And it drains at a constant rate. It doesn't speed up. It doesn't slow down unless you obstruct the hole. Uh, it, It drains at a constant. But when there's only a couple of inches of water left in the tub, the water appears to drain faster because of the relative amount of water that's left in the tub. So the less, the less water that's left, the faster it appears to go, right? Is it it making sense? So here's my theory. I think that we're approaching the return of Christ very soon in our lifetime and that the time that's left in the tub is very small and it's draining fast and we're coming to the return of Christ. And I think that we're collectively having the experience of time speeding up because Jesus is coming back soon. That's my theory. And here's the best part. I can't prove it. <laughs> but when it happens, I won't care enough to tell you I told you so. I won't, I won't be one of those guys in heaven, right? But we'll be there and we'll be rejoicing in his presence. But I think time is speeding up. The days are hastening on. And he says, when comes round the age of gold, that's the way that the scriptures talk about um, this, this thousand year millennial reign of Jesus on the earth when the curse is lifted. And, and Isaiah the prophet says that the lion lays down next to the lamb and a little child plays next to the hole of a cobra. I mean, how many little ones do we have here under five? If you knew that you had a king cobra in your backyard, just a 12-footer, not like a 15-footer, you know, and you said, go play by the cobra hole, honey, right? Said no parent ever. And this is the reality of the curse being lifted. And, and, and can you imagine what it would be like? Humanity and creation will reflect back the message that the angels sang about that night. But we all know that we're not there yet. We're not even close. So let's stop and see if we could take a closer look at the world as it really is at this moment. You know, if we were going to 
talk about the message of peace that the angels sing about, about not being fully realized, it makes sense to do kind of a quick inventory of the world right now. And so we'll start at the Google Earth 30,000 foot view, you know, when you're on Google Maps and you can see the whole globe and then we'll zoom in. So, so international conflict right now, greater than it's ever been in history. And so was internal ethnic strife all over the world, people groups against people groups. And Jesus said this in Matthew 25. He says, nation will rise against nation, then ethnos against ethnos. That's people group against people group. Uh, there are current wars, uh, more than 130 armed conflicts happening at this moment on the globe. 130 plus. Treaties violated, negotiations fail every day. Sovereign na- national boundaries violated daily. And the Council of Foreign Relations says that in 2019, the top of the list of threats to us are Iran and China. National conflict, fear, growing fundamental distrust of our politicians and our political system. Our schools have become battlefields. Corruption in government, power-hungry politicians, lying, violent crime, rampant drug use, the suicide rate nationally is climbing. When you get down to, to, to the regional level, here in the Pacific Northwest, meth and heroin epidemics are killing us. They're putting such a strain on public services. Cycles of substance abuse and family dysfunction are rampant. The cost of living keeps going up and the taxes keep going up and the strain on the family gets heavier and heavier. And then when you get down to street level, just personally, you know, you you just about can't even find a professional counselor who's not booked a year out around here. And and in record numbers, people are turning to medication to numb themselves from the pain of life and and escapism in all its forms and drugs and sex and video games and entertainment and on and on and on. And somebody's going, this is a Christmas sermon? The days are hastening on and the world feels like it's on a crazy out of control merry-go-round going like 90 miles an hour. And, and the angels speak into this and say, glory to God in the highest peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. And so we see through the distraction of the cultural phenomenon of Christmas and we stop and look at the world as it really is and it's in really bad shape. But I want us to look at the pervading peace of Christ coming into the world. This is the promise of the angels. Look at the last stanza here on the screen of our song. He says, yet with the woes of sin and strife, the world has suffered long. Beneath the angel's strain have rolled 2,000 years of wrong. And man at war with man hears not the love song which they bring. Oh, hush the noise, ye men of strife, and hear the angels sing. He says, the woes of sin and strife, the world's been suffering for a very long time. 2,000 years plus have passed since the angels presented the message outside of Bethlehem to the shepherds that night. And I think we can all agree there's been a lot of woe and a lot of suffering since then. But the question is, what causes woe and strife in this world? Is it karma? Is it chance? The hymn writer has it spot on. He says, it's sin. What causes woe, what causes strife is sin. Sin is what's wrong with the world. Sin resulted in estrangement from God, a curse being placed upon mankind and on all of creation. And sin is at the heart of every man and woman, boy and girl. It's not an out there problem. It's an in here problem. And, and then this Unitarian pastor says that it's man at war with man that's the reason we keep missing the, the proclamation of peace. Can I just say no? That's not it at all. He's, he's wrong. It's not man's 
wars against man that keep us from hearing God's message of peace. It's our war against God himself. We're at war, but it's mankind rebelling against God himself, the the fall, the curse, the blind determination in our hearts to do things our own way, to be our own God unto ourselves. And so as as I think about the lyric of this song, man at war with man hears not, in my presumption, I've changed the lyric. I've changed it to man at war with God. Uh, as, a, as a former worship pastor and as, a, as a, now a lead pastor, I refuse to sing uh, that, that lyric or lead others in it without correcting that pivotal piece of information which clears everything up. It's not man's war with man that keeps us from hearing God. It's our war against him, our rebellion in our hearts. And the pervading peace of Jesus is pending. It's pending. He's coming back, but, but the pervading peace of Jesus is pending in the hearts of many people that we know personally who don't yet know him. It's only found in the person of Jesus and putting one's faith in him alone. And the offer of peace still stands. And so the invitation at Christmas time is to get the shopping done, get the food in the fridge, but to stop and experience the peace of Christ afresh as followers of Jesus? Have you surrendered your pursuit of being God in exchange for worshiping God and submitting to him? Because if you have, then you know the pervading peace of Jesus that's come into the world at Christmas. Let it shape how you celebrate Christmas. Let it shape how you celebrate with your family and interact with your family. And not just on December 25th, but all the year long. And if you've not entered into the great exchange where you're swapping your sin for God's grace, I'd like to invite you to do that tonight, right at this moment, right where you are, and you'll see clearly through the distraction of our cultural Christmas, and you'll see the world as it really is, and more importantly, you'll see yourself as you really are in need of a Savior, and that pervading peace that the angels proclaimed over 2,000 years ago can tonight and will manifest in your heart and in your life, and you'll never be the same. That's the meaning of Christmas. That's the reason Jesus came. Let's continue to celebrate. Let's pray right now. Jesus, we thank you for your pervading peace. There's nothing inherently sinful about the way we celebrate Christmas, but we just confess to you, Lord, that it it becomes a thing unto itself for so many of us, and it it consumes our our time and efforts and energy, and, and it's just so easy, Lord, we just confess before you to lose sight of you to lose the the grip of of what we thought we had on on your presence and your peace, the nearness of your presence and your peace in our lives. And tonight we just want to be still before you and ask that you would renew that in us. You'd refresh us with your peace and your nearness. Thank you for the proclamation over 2,000 years ago that you would send your angels to uh, humanity's representatives there in the fields in the middle of the night and you would tear open the night sky and, and almost blind these poor shepherds and scare them half to death to tell them that peace had come into the world. I pray that every heart in this room would experience your peace and your nearness and your refreshing this Christmas. I ask it in your name. Amen.